welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, June 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Castro rolls out his housing policy, Bullock qualifies for the second debates, a brief look at the Republican presidential primary, surprise, Biden reveals his Q2 fundraising numbers and maybe not intentionally, and Klobuchar releases policy plans for her first 100 days. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, let's look at Julian Castro's people-first housing policy. He's rolling this out across three days with the first part landing yesterday, the second part today, and the final part on Wednesday. Now, I'm going to focus on Monday's release, which is titled, quote, Part 1, Solving the Rental Affordability Crisis and Ending Homelessness, end quote. Castro starts the policy with a bold set of statements that lay out where he's coming from both morally and politically. Quote, Housing is a human right. Housing is also a platform to opportunity, something I know through personal experience, through data, and through the stories of the many people I have met in my 11 years of public service. As Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Obama administration, I led a team of 8,000 employees and managed a $48 billion annual budget to create a stronger platform that would lift people out of poverty and into the middle class. At HUD, we worked to end homelessness. We made homeownership more available and affordable for all families. We worked to make sure all HUD homes were healthy homes. We made more housing opportunities available for returning citizens. We expanded fair housing. We required federally funded homeless shelters to open their doors to transgender individuals seeking shelter that conforms to their identity. And we worked to connect families in public housing to low-cost, high-speed internet. End quote. So, brief analysis time, this is what you want to hear from a candidate whenever possible. First off, he says housing is a human right. That is a profound statement of belief. And then you immediately get this background of, oh, by the way, I have a ton of experience doing precisely this thing in federal government, so here's how I'm going to make it happen. Okay, so what is in this plan? It's a series of specific proposals to deal with the problems of rental housing affordability and homelessness. You know, that's right in the title of the proposal. But the specific points are super interesting. The first one is, quote, expand and reform the Housing Choice Voucher Program. The Housing Choice Voucher Program is designed to target families with the highest need and to increase housing mobility, help deconcentrate poverty, and combat racial segregation. However, too many families in need are left out of this critical assistance. Right now, only 25% of eligible families receive vouchers, and the program is defined so narrowly that many more are waiting for help. End quote. And then he goes on to lay out a five-point subplan to fix this by expanding access to these vouchers in a bunch of different ways. Then, the second big point is to create a renter's tax credit. This is something that came up last week when I covered Castro's Fox News Town Hall. Right now, and for a very long time now, homeowners paying mortgages have gotten special tax credits on that mortgage interest. But, what if you either can't afford to buy a home, or don't want to buy a home? Why should you not get some kind of tax credit on what you spend on your housing? In this area, Castro essentially says, hey, if you're not eligible for the voucher program, how about a tax credit? Here is part of his specific language. Quote, 
Provide relief for low- and middle-income renters by creating a refundable tax credit for a portion of rent payments that exceed 30% of income. End quote. And then, in the subpoints below that, he mentions that, quote, Participants could choose to direct credits to a tax-advantaged savings account to be used for a down payment on a mortgage. End quote. Super interesting proposal and clearly a way to encourage renters to become homeowners if they want to. They don't have to, but if that's their goal, this is one way to get started. Okay, and his final point in that first part, which I won't cover in much detail here, has to do with local zoning reforms that would promote affordable housing development. And then there's a whole second part of this proposal under the heading, quote, end homelessness in the United States, end quote. He starts this with a genuinely bold set of goals, which I will read here in their entirety. Quote, one, build on the progress of the Obama administration and end veteran homelessness by the end of my first term. Two, end child, family, and youth homelessness by the end of my first term. Three, end chronic homelessness by 2028. Four, permanently authorize the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness to oversee this effort. And five, ensure individuals impacted by homelessness have a meaningful and direct hand in developing and implementing policies to address homelessness. End quote. And that's not all. He then proceeds to list a series of concrete proposals that would do precisely that. Some of them are pretty simple, just adding money into existing programs that need it. For instance, quote, increase funding for McKinney-Vento homeless assistance grants by $5 billion to $7.5 billion, tripling current spending, end quote. Now, there is a bunch more to this, and the second part came out today, and I have not analyzed it yet, but it is all worth a look. This plan kind of jumps off the page. It's the kind of thing you expect to see from a former HUD secretary, and I honestly think this will resonate with American voters, because, let's face it, housing is a real problem. A lot of us spend a lot of our time and money on housing, and this plan is both comprehensive and sensible. Now, as always, what would it cost, and how would he pay for it? Well, let me read from the LA Times, which spoke to the campaign. Quote, all told, Castro's housing plans would cost at least $970 billion over 10 years, including $410 billion to expand the rent voucher program. End quote. Okay, so how to pay for that? Well, quote, Castro said his housing agenda could be funded by repealing President Trump's tax cuts and closing tax loopholes. End quote. And also, we have two more pieces of this policy yet to come. I'm going to follow up on those and see if explicit funding sources are identified in the text of those releases. I do notice that part three includes a mention of, quote, holding Wall Street accountable for its impact on the housing market, end quote. I wonder what that will look like. Well, tune in later this week to find out. And now, a bit of breaking news that happened right before I was about to jump into the recording booth. Montana Governor Steve Bullock has officially qualified for the July DNC debates. This means there are now 21 candidates who qualify for that set of debates. There are only 20 slots, so this will trigger tiebreakers. Tiebreakers are messy, and while we already know that Bullock was unhappy not to make the debates next week, imagine how unhappy either he or some other candidate will be not making the debates in July much less the ones after that. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Although this show is mostly about the Democratic presidential primary, there is a slim chance that the Republicans will get into this act, too. Well, technically, they already are. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld is in the Republican primary, running for president. In fact, on Sunday, he went on CNN to talk to S.E. Cup on her show Unfiltered. Prior to it, Cup read a letter from a Utah resident named Carol who said she'd vote for Weld in a primary against Trump and said, quote, it's well past time that Bill Weld should get the attention he deserves, end quote. Okay, listen in. Look, it's no small deal that you're mounting a primary challenge to the sitting president of the United States. Do you think you're getting the attention you deserve? Yeah, I'm getting plenty of attention. And I might point out that all five of those presidents that those five candidates ran against lost. So making a primary challenge against the president historically has had uh, an impact. And I do predict that I will win the Utah primary against President Trump, who received exactly 14 percent of the vote. Well, with Carol in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. She should run your Utah operation. And just to clarify there, what Weld is referring to by the five presidents thing is that reading from Politico here, quote, In the past five elections in which a sitting president faced a primary challenger, the incumbent president lost re-election. End quote. Okay, so the most recent example of that would be George H.W. Bush, who in the 1992 election cycle faced a primary challenge from Pat Buchanan, who managed to win 23% of the overall Republican primary vote. While Buchanan never really seemed like he would win that primary, Having a Republican in the mix who was directly criticizing the sitting president certainly didn't help Bush. And let's not forget, 92 was a weird year because Ross Perot was running as well in the general. And although he won precisely zero states, he did manage to poll 19 million votes nationwide. So, in other words, it is unclear which of those factors, Buchanan, primaries in general, or Perot, or all of them, actually caused that particular loss for the incumbent, but it is technically true that the last five incumbent presidents to face a real primary challenger did lose. All right, back to Bill Weld. One of the key questions for Weld is whether he's just doing this to criticize Trump or whether he intends to win. Well, from what he says, he is serious. Listen in. To those who would say, this has no shot, this isn't going anywhere, you say, no, this is real. 
This is real, and the response I get uh, on the ground in New Hampshire and everywhere else, frankly, uh -huh. is that uh, the president uh, is not popular in the hinterlands. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he's very popular with the Republican state committees because they're the Trump organization. Right. But my, I'm, my strategy is not to try to charm them. It's to enlarge the electorate, get those millennial suburban women, yeah. Gen Xers voting, and then you're going to have a, a vote that's very different than what you see in the polls today. He says he's doing great in the polls. That's questionable. But you're saying... I'm the ground when you go talk to people in places like New Hampshire you're hearing a different I, I, I shook 240 hands in three diners in New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago I didn't encounter one Trump voter hmm. and they weren't acting either okay so that's Bill Weld for you there has also been some chatter lately that representative Justin Amash of Michigan might enter the presidential field as well he is the sole Republican in the house to call for impeachment of President Trump but let me remind you, he is actually a libertarian who ran on the Republican ticket. Last week, he gave an interview to Scott Wong of The Hill, and when asked whether he might run for president, he said, quote, I haven't ruled anything out, end quote. Now, the thing with Amash is he could jump into the general election running as a libertarian. This is in part because Donald Trump Jr. has been making noises about trying to primary Amash himself for his House seat. And this whole Amash thing has some Republicans genuinely worried. Reading again from The Hill, quote, Representative Doug LaMalfa, Republican of California, said a third-party bid by Amash could screw things up. I respect libertarians, I like them a lot, but it doesn't take away from the Democrats. It will take away from the conservative viewpoint, and that hurts our side, LaMalfa said. You guys want to elect Biden or Crazy Bernie? Then that's the way to do it. End quote. Remember yesterday when I said we were heading into a season of fundraising stories? Well, that season is here, and the flowers are blooming. In a story for the Washington Post, John Wagner and Michelle Yehee Lee wrote about Joe Biden's possible Q2 numbers. Remember, Biden entered the race on April 25th, which was well into Q2, and he is the frontrunner in the polls, so everybody wants to know what his numbers are going to be. Okay, reading from the first paragraph of that piece, quote, Joe Biden told supporters at a Manhattan fundraiser Monday night that his presidential campaign has raised money from 360,000 donors with an average contribution of $55, figures that suggest he has amassed nearly $20 million so far. End quote. Okay, so $20 million in Q2 would be more than any Democrat raised in Q1. Now, technically, Sanders had a total of $20.8 million in Q1, but that did include a transfer of $2.5 million in leftover funds from previous campaigns. Now, here's where this gets a little bit funky. Reading again from the story, quote, It is unclear whether the Biden campaign intended to release his figures publicly. Typically, campaigns wait until the close of the quarter to announce their fundraising tallies. End quote. Yeah, so it is genuinely unclear what's going on here because Biden's campaign declined to comment on the matter. Having said that, Biden did make news really early on when he raked in $6.3 million in one day. That was his first fundraising day, and like many well-known candidates, your first day is often your best day because you call up everybody you know and ask them to throw some money in to make a headline that day. And by the way, yesterday's story was about Buttigieg bringing in $7 million over all of April. And you can see how comparing that to more than $6 million in one day in April for Biden is a pretty stark contrast. 
Okay, so just a little more context here. Biden was speaking at the penthouse apartment of Jim Chanos, who is well known for shorting stocks. That penthouse was reportedly large enough to hold 180 Biden supporters. In other words, this was an event for wealthy donors. Reading again from that Washington Post story, quote, Later Monday night, another of Biden's Democratic rivals, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, took an apparent dig at him, writing on Twitter, I don't spend time at fancy fundraisers. Instead, I spend my time meeting voters and thanking grassroots donors who chip in what they can. Donate $3 to my campaign, and you might just get a call from me to thank you. End quote. So prepare yourself for all kinds of money talk starting, I guess, yesterday. And last up today, early this morning, Senator Amy Klobuchar released a long list of policy proposals for her first 100 days in office. It includes 137 individual items and, if printed, would run anywhere from 15 to 30 pages, depending on how you like your fonts. It's a post on Medium, and that website suggests that it is a 29-minute read, which, for Medium, is considered a rather long read. Okay, so what's in this thing? Well, in a word everything? Like, if you just skim through the document, you see proposals for gun control, improving broadband access, improving mental health care services, cutting childhood poverty, creating a public option for health care, changing the tax code, creating trade policy to address Chinese steel dumping, undoing most of Trump's executive orders, stopping robocalls, providing free and easy tax filing, restoring net neutrality, expanding climate science research, imposing sanctions on Russia, improving train safety, and, you know, like a hundred plus other things. In an article for Politico, Elena Schneider picked out three top ideas that are presented alongside the others, but may have a little more political heft. Reading from that article, quote, Klobuchar wants to re-enter the climate Paris Accords, raise the minimum wage for federal contractors to $15, and require publicly traded companies to disclose all political spending over $10,000 to their shareholders, end quote. Right on. So how much does this cost and how does the candidate propose to pay for it? No idea. There is very little detail in these proposals since they're all little one-paragraph nuggets. There is literally no mention of an overall cost or payment mechanism for this 100-day plan. Now look, having said that, again, you gotta take this stuff and just be reasonable about it. A lot of what Klobuchar proposes amounts to reversing executive actions already taken by the current president. And many of those things are, by definition, cost-neutral relative to what the situation was before. So, yeah, there's some kind of transition cost in changing things back, but fundamentally, much of what this amounts to is, let's go back to the old policy, or let's go back to the old staffing and funding levels of federal agencies. There's also a whole category of stuff in here that is certainly policy, but not related to spending. For instance, quote, rebuild our relationship with our allies and restore America's standing in the world. To rebuild the relationship with our allies that President Trump has undermined, Senator Klobuchar's first international trips as president will be to Canada and Europe to begin restoring trust with our most important allies. End quote. Well, fine, that's essentially free the way I read it. And beyond that, some of the items on her list do match up with existing policies that she has published that deal more with actual dollar costs. So while I would love to see more math behind this stuff, the point of it seems to be, look, I have 137 big ideas for my first 100 days. If you've got a spare 29 minutes, you can go read the policy on Medium. There is a link in the show notes to get a sense of just how busy Klobuchar would have to be in her first 100 days. There is also a link at the bottom of those show notes to an analysis of the proposals. 
Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Okay, so yesterday I asked whether anybody was interested in Primary Ride Home debate bingo. And, um, yes, everybody wants bingo. I kind of suspected that, but, I don't know, I guess it was worth asking. So, two things. I'm working on those cards right now, and there will be enough for a whole group, so not everybody gets the same layout. In other words, you won't win at the same time everybody else in your room does. And second thing, I've been asked like 20 times to provide a drinking game to go along with this. Uh, I'm going to leave that in y'all's very capable hands. I'm going to include some points on the cards about how to keep score, and I am certain you can figure out a way to tie that to consumption of whatever you want. For me, it's probably diet soda, but you do you. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.